Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Interior designer and co-host of Netflix show Restaurants on the Edge, Karen Bond is one of those people you can't take your eyes off of. Her presence and energy is that magnetic. Her design studio House of Bond has won numerous awards since opening in 2009, with her team working on residential and commercial projects across North America. She's also built a legion of global followers who watch her YouTube and Instagram content on entrepreneurship, travel, and design. She also happens to be one of the most intentional and reflective humans you'll come across. In this conversation, we explore her idyllic childhood in Dawson's Creek, the greatest lesson her late father passed on to her, her journey into landing her Netflix show, and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Please enjoy this conversation with the very vibrant Karen Bond. Karen Bond, welcome to The Craft. Hi, I'm so happy to be here and I'm so excited to see you. I am too. I mean, it's been... Probably three, four weeks. A couple weeks, few yeah. weeks, yeah. yeah. It always feels like too long, though. It always <laughs> feels like too long. <laughs> um, so this is our re-record because our original episode got destroyed by techni- technology error, human error. As it happens, <laughs> and I guess it's this, it was meant to be, right? It was. This is going to be the conversation that the craft needs to have. So. Yes, yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. I'm ready. So I love to always connect the dots on how we met. And it was when I was a social columnist for the West Ender and Mm -hmm. I went to an event and I met you and I don't remember, I think, were we not, did we not meet at before the event at a restaurant here in Yaletown? Oh yes. And it was through, um, not Julia, her, her sister that was doing sales for the West Ender. Yes. Yes. That's right. And we ended up. I had a table together, a couple people knew each other. I yes. can't remember how, but we were just out socially and that's yep. how we met. And, and then we kept it. bumping into each other. And this was like, 10? God, it's got to be 10, 11 years. Yeah. Friendship. At least. Yes. Yeah. Cause you, you had Moeski design. Yeah. Then. Which I, um, launched 12 years ago and I've, I've been with my husband now for eight years, but you and I met well before that well so before that maybe at least 10 years maybe 11 12 could be 13 years even I love it <laughs> 13 years wow <laughs> right yes because I remember that night I was with Brett at the time you were my boyfriend at the time and he I you know there's a few in between Brett and my Chris my husband now so yes yeah long, it was many moons ago <laughs> yes I'm very very lucky to have you in my life so Likewise. I'm, I'm glad we're having this deep dive conversation yeah yeah. So tell me, tell me about you as a child. Tell me about growing up. Oh my gosh, growing up. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I think it's because I've had such a craving in my life to slow down. As you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. And I grew up in the small town of Dawson Creek in northern BC, population of 12,000, like super small town, very rural. And we actually lived outside of the city and I was fortunate enough to grow up on like 180 acres of land and it was remote and beautiful. We were surrounded by nature. And when I think of my childhood, I would really describe it it as like idyllic. It was just, it's visually very beautiful. Um, And I mean, growing up in Dawson Creek, I didn't think that at the time, like you never appreciate it Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And my family moved to the Okanagan when I was 10. Um, But so for the first 10 years of my life, I grew up in this very um, small town with my two younger sisters, my mom and dad. And um, we would play outside all day long. Um, I have very few memories of being inside the house and playing. We were always outside. We had a couple of ponies. We had some chickens. We had like a pet pig at one point, some dogs. And it's a peaceful life. A very, very peaceful life and a very like innocent childhood. Mm. 
And when I pure, pure, pure is a great word for it. Yeah. And I attribute my childhood and growing up that way to my creativity Mm. because we grew up having to use our imagination. And I remember, um, and not just our imagination, but also we grew up with like a stillness. You know, there wasn't a lot of, my parents weren't really big into music. Mm. We weren't, the television wasn't on all the time. Um, so there was sort of like this stillness and this peace and quiet that... Room for imagination. Room for imagination. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, I, and I, I think that today, because it's so busy and my life is so busy and my work is so busy... I've had this yearning in the last little while to sort of reconnect with the way that I grew up, being a lot more still um, and a lot more surrounded by nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're craving more of that space again for imagination. More Room of that for imagination. Space. Room for imagination. And I think like as is with meditation, when you can find that like center and the only way that you can find that center is through being quiet and still, I think you can really, um, really get creative. Like you can really, you can really affect things. You can really manifest things from that still place. Mm. Um, and so I definitely have been, as you know, have been craving a change in the last little while. Um, and so I, for some reason, my childhood just pops into my head quite often or that stillness, or I think of my sister who's in Calgary, who has, you know, she lives on an acreage and has a number of horses and it's kind of, it reminds me of my childhood. And I just, Mm. I, I love that peacefulness and that quietness. Mm. And it's really interesting that you talk about this stillness and this peacefulness because, you know, for as long as I've known you, one of the words that I would use to describe you is is driven and you know right? it's it's like it's <laughs> this interesting um yeah it's just an interesting comparison right yeah like or this interesting this like a juxtaposition yeah almost. exactly yeah. exactly and so I'd love to know more about your mom and mm-hmm. your dad mm-hmm. and where you think you get these qualities from mm-hmm. well So my dad, um, both my parents had immigrated to Canada. My dad is German. My mom is Chinese. My dad's side of the family is very formal. Um, I, you know, a lot of doctors in the family, dentists, they all live in Germany. They speak German. Um, Any, most of the time when I see them, it's if I go to Germany to go visit them. And um, my dad, after he went to med school, came to Canada um, did his residency here and then just decided that he was going to stay like he was never going to leave Canada and he ended up um, going up north to work and had a practice up in Dawson Creek um, my dad was a hunter and um, he just really loved like the wilderness and my dad was a very I would describe him as a really like competent person and he always he was always building things. He built the house that we lived in. He was welding riverboats. He always had some sort of like construction project on the go. Um, and I would, growing up, I would watch him sometimes for hours just mesmerized by construction. And so I think that absolutely that played a, a part and it was a factor into why I became an interior designer. Mm. And my dad um, said that if he didn't become a doctor, he probably would have become an architect so there's definitely some parallels there for with design with design Mm -hmm. yeah um and I was really close to my dad and he was um passed away with cancer when I was 11 so that was the whole reason why we moved from Dawson Creek and my dad was sick for a number of years um and he didn't want my mom raising three young girls up north in the wilderness basically Mm -hmm. on her own Um, So that's the reason my family moved to the Okanagan. And my mom, completely opposite from my dad. I I definitely feel like this is a story of like opposites attract. My mom's, um, my mom immigrated or moved to, she was born in China, um, in Canton. So she speaks Cantonese. And my grandpa actually came to Vancouver first. And he um, started up shop in Chinatown 
where my office, my current office is. So um, moving my office to Chinatown had a little bit of like, it kind of felt like I was connecting to my roots a little bit in doing that. Um, But my grandparents also were very traditional Chinese, so completely different backgrounds. Um, And I often joke that like I would have knuddles, which are is like a potato, a German potato dumpling with one set of grandparents at the dinner table. And I'd have um, chicken feet with another set of grandparents, Mm. like completely different. Um, So my mom grew up very traditionally, like traditional Chinese, like you um, are quiet at the dinner table, you speak when spoken to a lot more submissive than women today, for sure. My mom was predominantly a stay-at-home mom. Like, she had a part-time job, but she was at home most of the time. Um, But she really, uh, you know, was in support of my dad and all of his sort of crazy ventures that he was doing. And um, my mom, though... You know, my dad passing away from cancer and my mom having to look after three girls. Um, I admire my mom so much because of her strength and how much she was able to continue providing for the three of us. Like, we mm. never yearned for anything. We never, oh, I mean, like, material wise my mom had paid for all three of us to go to university um she really became financially savvy on her own Mm. um because she was driven and committed to looking to taking care of us right and so I I think probably you know a lot of like my strength and my loyalty comes from my mom because like she never remarried I don't even remember her dating Mm. ever Um, so it was you you guys were her number one we were definitely her number one we were her number one focus Mm -hmm. um yeah she was just completely committed to us three I mean I wish that today you know like she had a partner um or someone to share her life with but she does live with my youngest sister who just had her second baby and Mm. her partner so my mom definitely has her hands full right (laughs) they're all in the same household um, but yeah, her strength and her loyalty, I think I, I admire so much and mm. I definitely get that from my mom. Mm. And then my dad's sort of like free spirit and, um, willingness to try anything and do anything and his competency. Like my dad was just kind of one of those people who was good at anything that he tried. Mm. Um, or, and he was a quick study, like he could take on, take on a new task really easily and I'm the same way. And it's both like a blessing and a curse. Because <laughs> like you being, can take on a lot. Because you can take on a lot. And you can take on too much, for mm. sure. Like in my own company now, it's hard for me to have people help or for me to step back. Like I'm constantly reminding myself, like you have help. Mm. People can help. Um, because I'm just used to taking everything on. And I'm I'm good at this a lot of different things right it's so. it's interesting to hear that your dad is a free spirit because free spiritedness is not something that I would really relate with a German background well but exactly and that's the the whole reason he left stern you stern know? and very formal and mm-hmm. I can attest to that for sure because of experiences that I've had with my family where there's a certain way to lift your glass and cheers at the dinner table. Like it's very structured and formalized um, just as a culture, like Mm. lots of rules to follow, um, which is the exact reason why why my dad came to Canada because he was like, I can't Can't do this. this. Can't deal with this. My free spirit needs to be somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Needs to be in the Canadian wilderness. Yes, Dawson's Creek. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit more about your dad and you saying that he passed away when you were 11. Yeah. Um, how how did you process his illness as a child? There really was no processing when I was a child. Um, what I realize, what come have come to know in my later years, um, like I'm 40 now, and so... I, I had sort of a revelation at some point in my 30s where um, I realized that because so my dad was sick for about eight years before he passed away. 
my youngest sister is three years younger than I am, and he was diagnosed right after she was born. Mm. So my dad was terrified of um, bonding with a really young girl and having her lose her father. So he made the choice um, not to establish a bond with her because he, at the time, was told that he only had about a year to live. He ended up living for eight years, and of course they connected in her childhood. But I only say this to... um, to illustrate that she unfortunately has almost no recollection of my dad because they spent so little time together. I, on the other hand, being the oldest, um, my dad is so prominent in my childhood. He spent so much time with me, and I think he was um, almost like determined to teach me as much as he possibly could Mm. before passing away. And I, even in life today... There are sort of like, you know, events that will happen or learnings. And I will go back to something in my childhood or a time with my dad and make a connection. And it always amazes me how much your formative years as a child um, really impact how you operate in the world later in life. In all ways. In all ways. It's actually it's mind blowing. And so, um, I mean, I definitely have a lot of gratitude that he really focused on um, imparting as much like wisdom and teaching. And um, I think that's why I'm also very good at just figuring things out and solving problems. Like he was really coaching me at mm-hmm. an early age when I was like six, seven, eight, nine. He would, you know, come home with a book of riddles. And I would have to like solve these these riddles mm. and they would be fun children's books. But that kind of taught me how to like navigate and problem solve and look at things from different angles. And I think it's actually what has made me like a really good business person. Mm, use preparing you for life. Preparing me for life. Mm. Yeah. So when he passed away, um, unfortunately, and again, this is just a cultural thing. My mom being Chinese um, wasn't really well equipped to handle grief, um, wasn't really well equipped to even talk about difficult emotions and difficult feelings. And she had so much time to process, uh, you know, like she knew that his death was coming and they were dealing with his cancer for eight years. Um, so, when it happened for her she was mentally prepared um and when he I'm pretty sure like the when he passed away she was like okay it's time to I gotta make this happen Mm -hmm. so she sort of went into like um a mom mode like provider mode Mm -hmm. and in doing that I mean myself and my sisters but I'll speak for myself like we really didn't have any tools or opportunity to grieve and we didn't really talk about my dad. We didn't um, grieve about my dad together. We didn't cry together as a family. She just kind of rolled, my mom just kind of rolled up her sleeves and went on with life. So I struggled with that a lot Mm -hmm. and being 11 when he passed away and going right into, you know, 12, 13, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a hormonal, you're hitting puberty, you're doing all of these things as a young teenager. um, My teenage years were like extremely, extremely difficult. And I butt heads with my mom all the time. And I was, I was searching for ways to feel better. I was searching, you know, eventually for ways to self-medicate. So I started experimenting with drugs really early. Um, I partied a lot as a teenager. Um, I mean, I lived like really, really hard early Mm. in my life. Um, And it was about, you know, 18 that I ended up in a place where all of a sudden I realized I had all of this grief that I needed to deal with. And then I began a journey of processing grief Mm. at 18, Mm -hmm. seven or eight years later. Right, right. I mean, you spent so much time with him before. So much time. And to not be able to feel those feelings, that must have been so hard. Yeah. 
yeah, the sadness, the loss, the anger, um, yeah, the the yearning, the longing, um, yeah, it's so hard, so hard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think even as an adult, those feelings are hard to process. But as a kid, if you don't have a role model or you you're you know you're not given the opportunity to learn that your feelings are okay, whatever that looks like, um, trying to navigate how to process your feelings mm-hmm. becomes challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you've been on a lifelong journey since then oh, yeah. of, of healing as, you know, yes. you know, like so many of us have been or going through right now. Yeah. 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 I'd love to, um, come back to this. Um, I have one question, but I'll, I'll, sa- I'll save it for later. Okay, cool. Uh, but I do want to get into how you got to do what you do in terms of interior design. What did, what did that journey look like? Yeah, you know, in, it's funny. Actually, My- before we, we <laughs> go on, <laughs> I just want to say I'm, I'm really sorry about you, know, you losing your father. Thank That's, you. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, thank you for saying that. And, you know, it's something that um, when you lose a parent, I think, especially if you're close to that parent, I mean, it affects you for your entire life. I think they say the um, next to losing a child, which is the most difficult thing in life, losing a parent is the second. Mm. Um, and so definitely at that early age, yeah, it's, it's, and the, they also say about grief, which I can, I've experienced too. It's almost like the older I've gotten in a really weird way, also the closer I feel to my dad, Mm -hmm. like every year that goes by, I feel closer and closer Mm -hmm. as odd as that might sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have, I would love to know him as an adult because at 11, my dad was still like Superman, you know, he was untouchable. He had no imperfections. He was, you know, this most, the most amazing person and man. And I just adored him. So I'm sure, you know, you've gone through that <laughs> part yes. and in your life when you all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh wow, he's my, not perfect. Yeah, they're a human being. My parents are humans. <laughs> <laughs> they have their own quirks and yes. shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to, like, know that side of him, too. But mm-hmm. yeah, but thank you for saying that. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but yes, uh, your journey, your creative journey. Oh my gosh. I always knew that I wanted to do something creative. Always. Like growing up in Dawson Creek and me crafting things and watching Do- um, Mr. Dress Up and then trying to like make the crafts after. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something creative and I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I had no idea when I was in high school that interior design was a profession or a career. Um my mom was adamant that I go to university. So even though I like desperately wanted to go to a design school or like fashion design or graphic design, I mean, there wasn't any of that really in Kelowna where I was growing up. And mm-hmm. we moved to Vancouver in 2000 when I was starting university. And, um, you know, I had applied to UBC and, and made it in and kind of spent five years doing a double major just because like Mm. taking courses of my most favorite things that you could in academic in an academic landscape Mm -hmm. um and when I graduated I like literally I think the week that I graduated I was like I'm not even going to my graduation and I just packed everything in my Honda Civic hatchback everything that I had and I drove to Calgary where my best friend was at the time who I grew up with in Kelowna moved in with her And uh, a few weeks later, got a job at a store called Ellipsis Design. They sold furniture, did custom furniture design, and then did like in-home consultations. Mm. So that was my sort of entry to, my introduction to interior design, really. Because I was going into people's homes, and we were, I was helping do consultations, and I was helping to pick furniture. And I really loved it. Like, I, I... What about it do you love? Well, I liked that I was, I liked that I was doing something creative and it was new. And like, I had just finished this, you know, I went into university doing like honors physics and some science courses and calculus and then 
and exited with like a philosophy and German studies degree and had was really like university was a challenging time because here I was processing all of this grief from my from my father's death trying to navigate what I wanted to do in life and wasn't really doing it in the most authentic way like I think had I just you know put my foot down I guess if you can do that when you're 18 and just said no I'm going to fashion design or I'm going to a design school I probably would have had an experience at a school like that that would have felt way more like vibrant and enriching and who knows where I would have ended up but it like university was weird because I just felt like I was grinding it out in a way that wasn't like satisfying right it wasn't for you no mm-hmm. and I don't know if anybody I, you went to university yeah yeah I mean it it felt the same same way when I when I first got there you know I, I was going into um you know major that wasn't really my choice until the last minute where I decided yeah. Nope, I am not going to sciences. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went into the arts. So yeah, yes. I, I understand I understand the um the pressure of having a parent mm-hmm. um that wants you to do a certain thing. Once but it's out of love. It's it out, is of, out love. of love. It's out of love. And you know what? It was at a time when a university d- degree really set you up in life differently than it is today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we see the we see so much potential in what we can do mm-hmm. now that doesn't have to be defined by yeah. that certificate. Exactly, exactly. So I think it was probably more that I was immersed in something creative that was really interesting and exciting to me. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I was in Calgary and I had picked up painting again, which is a hobby that I did, um, you know, kind of in and out of university. But I was just really flexing that creative muscle. And I was, I think I was in Calgary for less than a year because when you come from Vancouver, (laughs) it's pretty hard to go, if you love the lifestyle that the West Coast provides it's pretty hard to live in a place like Calgary so Mm. very quickly I was like no I'm out of here I'm going back to Vancouver and then I enrolled in design school and design school was interesting I I ended up being a design like a a design school dropout because I I love design school and I was really I couldn't believe that we were talking about color theory and you know like doing all of these things that were I guess so fun and also easy for me. And I'm a believer that the things that are easy to you or that come naturally to you are really the things that you are good at. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just had a really strong aptitude when I was in design school and I was like itching to get out in the world and to be working. So I kind of was doing my schooling part time and working in the industry. And um, I ended up I ended up applying at the time to do a reality TV show called Design Interns, which filmed in Toronto and landed um, a part on that show. So in the my first year of of school, I kind of left to go and film the show. And it was a reality competition series. And I made it four episodes and had so much fun doing it. And then when I came back to Vancouver, I was like committed to doing schooling again and when the next semester came around, I just had a really hard time like being engaged. I just really wanted to do my own thing. I was mm. ready to work. I knew I wanted to have my own business. I was kind of ready to do it. And so I left school and um, started dabbling on working on my own. Mm. And were they m- mostly residential projects at first or were they? Oh, my gosh. They were so all, small. Like my yeah. first project, my my own first project was for a friend of mine her like 400 square foot studio apartment and what I helped her do is like change out the floors paint a wall and I think I rearranged some furniture so that (laughs) it looked more spacious um and like getting off the ground I mean I people often ask me do you have any advice for young designers and I I always say you know don't do what I did and go out on your own right away get some time at a firm and get some experience because it is, there's a lot to know and it's a very complex trade. You don't realize that going into it because we're so used to watching things like HGTV and it seems so simple, but there's actually a lot to know and there's a lot of coordination. 
that you you can get so much great experience at a firm and then going out and going on your own would be much easier. Mm, is it a matter of learning the systems? Yeah, like mm-hmm. systems and, you know, just construction and dealing with clients and vendors and pulling together a project, you know, it's an enormous amount of work. And sometimes when I look at our projects now, just the amount of people and um the amount of items that you're coordinating to execute one project, like the margin of error is so high, just statistically Mm. (laughs) Um, that it's really easy early in your career to make a lot of mistakes. Um, And those mistakes can be really painful. So at least if you have some experience at a firm, Mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of learning on someone else's dime, not on your own. Yeah. (laughs) Less of a hard knock life. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you had uh, Mueski yes. first. Yes. And then um, you had that for how many I years? had Karen Bond Creative first. Oh, okay. Before Moeski. So I had Karen Bond Creative and I burnt myself out really quickly. And then I went to a, a large engineering and architecture firm, Stantec, which there's like 400 people in their Vancouver office and I think 10,000 people in North America. At least that's what it was at the time that I was working there. So Mm. very corporate. I worked in a cubicle. Um, I was there for about two years. And while I was there, some connections that I had made while I was trying to do my own thing initially, you know, someone asked me to come and do their condo and someone asked me to do a small part of a restaurant and, so then I left Stantec and went out on my own again and partnered um, with my boyfriend at the time. And we called the firm Moeski. It was just kind of a joke. It was a spinoff of our dog's name was Mo. It was funny at the time, but I always hated the name. And then <laughs> when my boyfriend and I broke up, I was like, okay, the name's got to go. <laughs> um, he's gone. The dog's gone. The name's got to go. Um, and so I eventually rebranded to House of Bon. Right. And it's been rebranded now for, I don't know, a number of years. Yeah, because that yeah. was 2009 that you founded it? I launched yeah. in 2009. Yeah, 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and look at you now, like all of the different industries that you work in, residential, multifamily, restaurant, retail. Yeah, all of it. You built an empire and you also have created um, quite a following around your content, your video content. Hmm. Which I love doing. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, you and I were having this conversation last time I saw you. But yeah. um, one of the observations that I told you about that I, that I made about you was that you always spoke about television and storytelling. I always and did. Yeah, always. It was something that always came up as something that you really loved. And, you know, <laughs> I like I back in the day and I think about when even when I, I'm sure when I met you and he, I, I'm sure I was like, May, I'm going to do TV one day. I really want to do TV. I'm sure you heard that for years. And so did so many people around me. And I kind of I pursued it for such a long time. And it almost got to the point where I was like, why did I tell people that I was going to do TV? Because it's not happening. Um, but until it did. Until it did. <laughs> until it did. And then it did in a really big way, which um, what's that saying? When preparation, when, oppor- when preparation, preparation meets opportunity, opportunity that's something luck. like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So I had been pursuing television for 10 years, like this from the time that I started my company um, back in 2009. I had also been pursuing television because remember I did this little stint on the reality TV show when I was in school. So, and when I say pursuing television, I mean like calling up producers, cold calling them and saying, Hey, I'm Karen Bond and I'm an interior designer here in Vancouver. Do you want to, do you want to, can we have coffee? Do you want to talk about a potential show? And people said yes all the time all the time. Like I would just look them up, Google their name, you know, Vancouver production studios, see Mm -hmm. what kind of shows they were producing, call and say, Hey, is so-and-so there? Is there a producer there? And then go for coffee. And I would kind of pitch ideas or, and you know, it's funny because when I, like I talk about entrepreneurship a lot on my YouTube channel and my content. And when people ask me about building a business, I genuinely think that even with social media, there's no better way to build a business than 
picking up the phone or doing it, sending a cold email and like cold, like introducing yourself and cold calling. I think Mm. you can make amazing connections, but you have to have the courage to do that. I was just going to say, it takes a lot of guts to just pick up the phone and do that. So the weird thing, I will say this, when I was building my interior design firm and I knew I would be like, okay, I've got a cold call, got a cold call. And I would get ready to call like an architect or maybe a potential developer. And in the early years, I would start like sweating. My heart would start racing. I would be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I would dial the phone and the phone would ring. And, you know, I would just like I sometimes I would feel like my heart would jump out of my chest because Mm. I hated the cold call. Um, and if I had to leave a message, I would, I would say, you know, oh, hi, my name is Karen Bond and da, 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 and then I hang up the phone and sometimes I'd literally be like, <sighs> <laughs> and like gasping for air, like so dramatic, but I found it, it's hard to do, but for some reason, I don't know, cold calling producers, which is what it really was. It wasn't hard for me to pick up the phone and try to connect with someone you know, and probably those producers said yes, because how many people do that? <laughs> probably. Exactly. And they're like, okay. They're like, okay. This person has guts. <laughs> sure. We can meet for coffee. Yeah. With, what's a coffee and, yeah. and over a good idea? Yeah. But a potential really good idea. A potential really good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you never kind of know who you're going to meet, I think, in the TV world. So um, I was cold calling producers and then I started making my own content and I like cut my own reel and I was sending it even to different producers in Toronto. I flew myself out to Toronto at one point to meet with a few different producers. Like this was all self-funded, self-generated, um, self, you know, manifested. And even though I wasn't getting any like bites, that whole process was so informative because I would every time I sat down with someone a producer I would learn so much about the tv world and about the industry and eventually someone called from Toronto and said hey you know we we really loved meeting you a couple years ago we loved that reel that you sent in we'd love to sign you maybe we could develop a show together and I was like oh my god this is so exciting and um Anyone who knows the TV world that knows that development is like a very slow process. Um, And when you sign on to do usually in a development agreement, usually the production company will have you on like an exclusive. So you can't talk to any other producers. You Mm -hmm. can't do anything else. Um, But at the time I was okay with that. And I spent, I think it was like five, five years consecutively where I was signed on with six different producers over a five-year span all on these hold agreements to develop some kind of design show and they were production they were producers out of toronto out of vancouver out of los angeles one was even like e1 i mean they're huge they do feature films and they have an office in toronto and la and i was when i signed on with them i was like oh my god this is it this is gonna happen it's gonna happen i just know it nothing happened um So when that five years kind of came to an end and my last contract expired and nothing was happening, I was like, okay, screw it. I'm forget TV. I'm having a lot of fun and getting way more momentum with my YouTube channel. (laughs) I'm just going to pursue what I'm doing on YouTube. And of course, as soon as I said that I get a phone call and it's a Beverly Hills number and I, I remember seeing it come up on my phone and thinking to myself, oh, God, probably another producer. And <laughs> I take the call and the producer says, oh, you know, we got introduced introduced to you and we are looking for a designer for a new show that we're doing. I probably shouldn't tell you where it's going, but I'm just going to tell you because we're short on time. It's going to Netflix. It's a travel show. Um, we're revamping restaurants and you'd fly around the world doing this. You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, because I was, I had so much producer bur- burnout, I was like, I don't know, send me some more info. <laughs> <laughs> and I went home that night and I, I had a family dinner with my mom and my husband, Chris, and my sister. And when I told the story, they were like, what? Of course you would want to be doing this. Of course. So I, when I woke up the next morning, I was like, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I will say yes to this. 
And um, yeah, you know, one thing happened after the next really quickly. And I think from the call to the time that I was signed a contract and was filming was really like a short window of time. It was like four months or something. Mm -hmm. It's on a plane and filming. And then, yeah, it was a Netflix show. Got to fly around the world, revamp restaurants with two other hosts, a restaurateur and a chef, and had a blast doing it. Worked with such an amazing, talented crew who were out of Toronto. And um, it was called uh, or it was called Restaurants on the Edge. Yeah, it's Restaurants yes. on the Edge. Yeah. So and it's, you can still you can still find yeah, it on Netflix. You can right? still find yeah. it on Netflix. Um, and oh, my gosh, we had so much fun. And we did it at the right time because when I got home, there was, I think like a seven or eight month period where the show was in the edit and then the show launched and literally the week that I was going to do a little premiere party here in Vancouver, everything shut down for COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, I mean, who knows if there will ever be another season of the show. I mean, it's canceled for now because you just, can't, can't travel can't travel can't fly a crew around the world can't go in and out of the countries without quarantining or you know it's just too much of a liability so we did it at the perfect time mm. I wanted to ask when you finally got into doing a full show like that yeah um what did you learn about the process that surprised you um ooh, that's a great question well I'll say this because I was so like, it's something that I wanted for such a long time. And, you know, I always had it on my vision board and I, like I said, I was doing my YouTube channel. Nothing was happening with these producers. So I started my YouTube channel. Doing that was the most amazing unintentional practice that I could have done because I think at that point I had my YouTube channel, I don't know, maybe five years or something like that. And I worked out so many kinks, meaning I knew how to take all the ums and likes out of what I was saying. I knew how to stand up straight. I knew how to do my own makeup. I knew which highlighter looked really good on my face. I be just because I was making my own content and you, when you make your own content, you get better and better and better. And I could go into a room cause I was doing interior design content. I did my whole townhouse renovation in North Vancouver. I filmed it all. And so I would go into a space, I would talk about a space, I learned how to like talk really quickly on my feet and how to face the camera. And so when I signed on to do the Netflix show, it was like walking right on set with, mm. and didn't even flinch. Yeah, the only thing you is, were prepared. I was totally prepared. The only thing now is that it was just a way bigger crew. <laughs> <laughs> there was a separate sound guy and like, you know, we'd have three camera guys and a drone operator and it was just a way bigger production. Mm-hmm. Um, but having done my own content for all of these years really set me up for success. And so I guess the learning would be from that would be um, trust the timing of your life. Mm. When things aren't happening, usually it's for a reason. Yeah. And I think... I am so grateful it didn't happen earlier because I was pursuing these producers when I was still branded under Moeski. It wasn't even my name, nothing. And so I went through this whole rebrand, did all of this YouTube content before I got the Netflix show. And thank God I did because Mm. I was able to, um, you know, be Karen Bond of House of Bond. Yeah. Your brand was built out. My brand was built out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the time I got the show. So there was definitely like something divine happening there for for sure. sure. Yeah. Divine timing as they call it. Divine timing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's so interesting. I I think that with so many of these things, you know, you watch a show and you Mm -hmm. just watch it. You don't think of all of the magic and the orchestration that goes on behind it. And I remember, uh, maybe a month, maybe a month ago, Mm -hmm. um, I had read this article that broke down um, the magic of the camera work and the storytelling behind the Oprah, um, Prince Harry, and Meghan Markle interview. And it blew me away because there's so many things you don't consider, like 
where they're where they're sitting, how yes. they're sitting, the sound that's happening, the angles, how many cameras, like everything that I I never consider mm-hmm. um, when I'm watching something. When you're just watching something, yeah, and totally. There is there is a lot of hard work that goes on behind oh some of our favorite gosh. shows and some of the most incredible storytelling, whether it's on television, like visual, YouTube, or audio. Yeah. yeah. So much, so much goes on behind the scenes for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's like, um, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely have such an appreciation. And But then at the flip side, too, I also have an appreciation for what you can do with one camera person, mm. too, like with my own content and what you, you know. So, I mean, sometimes having a big production like that is amazing, but then you can also produce so much with, like one person too. yeah we have a lot of tools right now yeah to to do that and yeah. t- today I had read this article um it was an article article about Japan and um there was someone in there um that they referred to um that was creating content and was using this app called VHS cam and so today I downloaded it and it to me it was so incredible because it was free um yeah. and you can use it and create these really cool like vintage 80 style videos yeah so we have all this technology that you VHS know, cam. we, we Ooh, didn't have to we don't have that. yeah it's it's really fun <laughs> it's an app it's an app yeah okay, you'll find cool. it on the app store vhs cam okay cool yeah it'll be the first one that pops up so to your question about um lessons learned mm-hmm. i just had a thought that popped into my mind um i will say another lesson valuable lesson learned from doing the netflix show is have you heard of the arrival fallacy? No. Have you heard of this? No. So the arrival fallacy is um, how people, me included, you kind of believe or you you go through life thinking once I get there, once I attain this, once I arrive at this destination, whatever that is in your head, I will be X, whatever mm. it is. I will be happier. I will be more confident I will be famous I will be whatever it is for you um I think doing the Netflix show really taught me so much about the arrival fallacy like and what I mean by that is you know life is kind of like a series of events that ups and downs that you go through and no matter how driven or ambitious you are there really is no I will get here and everything will be better. Mm. You're just where you are. I will get here and it will all be different, whatever that means. I think it's just a part on your journey and you still are who you are. And um, like, does that make sense a little bit? Yeah, just like wherever you are in life, you've already arrived. Yes. Or like the journey really is the destination. If you Mm. think that there's a destination somewhere and everything is going to be different, um, I think that can be, you can be really setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm. That's really cool. I've yeah. never heard of that. I feel like I want to dig deeper yeah. into that. In the arrival but I think, fallacy. But I, I, t- I totally understand and feel what you're saying. For you know, sure. like if I, when I find a husband or when I get yeah. married or when I buy that house or so when it's like I get that, that future, that, that external thing. Yeah, like that something will get. be different. And I mm-hmm. think it's just, yes, yeah, the arrival fallacy. Like often it is, it isn't. And I think you have to, um, if you're looking for change, you need to change internally first. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, yes. Always starts with self, doesn't Always it? Always starts with self. And when you start with self, everything around you changes. Yeah. You know? And that, that's definitely a lesson I've learned in my life and continuing to to learn. But it's I feel through experience that it's true. Yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely. Mm. I want to. Um, I wanted to ask about, you talked about how you were supposed to do the, the launch party for Restaurants on the Edge, and then everything stopped. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about this year and some of the transformations yeah. that you've had <clears throat> because of the stop. Totally, because of the stop. So speaking of the arrival fallacy, um, I was... I kind of thought like this is my breakout moment and I was and I mean in some ways 
kind of was like with the show and the launch of the show I had a bunch of press that I was planning on doing I was going to do some press in Toronto I was going to go down to LA um and do some like tv spots and um there wasn't like the show didn't do a premiere party or anything like that but I wanted to host my own premiere party here in Vancouver. I had a venue that I had um, rented. I was throwing this big event. I had a bunch of people that I had invited. Um, and I having all of that be shut down, television screeched to a halt. Like the only thing that was being broadcasted was national news, right? Local news wasn't even being broadcasted. And even morning shows like nobody was doing morning shows and so this whole breakout kind of moment that I had planned this big press tour completely canceled um and that was you know in the moment I think there were so many things that were happening because at the same time okay now it's COVID what do I do with my business we're we're pivoting quickly everyone's working from home we're um we had clients because I was still and had always, even while I was filming the show was still juggling, you know, upwards of like close to 20 projects. And that's sort of the average of where we usually are at. Um, you know, we had clients that were pausing some that were ending their con like, Oh my God, there was just this whole kind of panic that was happening. So this last year has been wild because it almost was like, okay, all this press and this media stuff that I was going to do is not happening now. I'm having to deal with my business and just manage my team. And I, I made the decision at the beginning of COVID that I, I wanted to keep my employees employed. And that was the most important thing. So I was doing whatever I could to manage that. And it took me a really long time to reconcile, I think, the disappointment of not having this takeoff moment mm -hmm. and I didn't even realize that I needed to like process that mm -hmm. um until actually quite recently and I got to a point where I was like fuck mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't happen the way that I wanted to happen like fuck and kind of let myself go there and feel that and feel the disappointment and like the anger and all of that that kind of came with it that I didn't know that I needed to feel I think I was just in in like crisis mode and just oh my god next thing next thing next thing that I didn't have the opportunity to process it and now that I have um and I also almost didn't I think didn't want to because not having the takeoff moment almost felt like failure mm -hmm. if that makes sense which is weird because now from the vantage point that I'm at now I can say to myself, dude, you have a Netflix show. Yeah. It's huge. It's yeah, huge. It's and, you know, now from my vantage point, I can kind of go, okay, what's next? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to leverage this? Where am I going to go from here? Mm. And be really intentional about the next steps, which I'm getting really, really excited about. Um, and I have some things in the works, which I am really excited about. But it kind of took me a little while to process that mm. before I could turn around and look at it and like call it what it is, which is still a huge accomplishment for sure. And like a really great thing to have on the resume. Hmm. I have a curious question. Mm -hmm. Why did you feel like you needed a takeoff moment? Um, because I think that Building my business was so hard. It is and still is like the hardest thing that I am doing. Um, building it from scratch, getting it to the point that it is today. There was, I mean, it was grueling. And, and even doing the show was grueling. There's like hands down... You know, it's glamorous to be flying. We went to 13 different um, destinations like Finland, Hong Kong, the Caribbean. So I was on I would be away for like nine to 10 days at a time, usually back for about, I think, four or five and then on a plane again. 
And it sounds glamorous. And in lots of ways it is. But it was also exhausting. And, um, you know, you're always in a different time zone. And I was still juggling all these projects at home. So there, there were times when I would, like, I was wouldn't be able to sleep. I would get to bed to sleep maybe like 3, 4 a.m. in the country that I was. Would be up at 6 to do hair and makeup. Would film for the day. Come back to the hotel room order room service or whatever and then it would be like say noon back in Vancouver or whatever time it was day t- business hours time and then I would be on the phone or on my computer for another three four five hours working th- with my team on design projects mm. and then doing it all over again and so that's a lot it was a lot it was mm. a lot to juggle um super exhausting and you know, I think I was really craving a takeoff moment that would just sort of make everything easier. Mm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that that's what I was hoping for. Like to ma- make the battle seem worth it, to make the battle seem worth it and to make it be like, I don't have to go out and hustle business as much anymore because I've got a Netflix show and people are calling me <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the answer in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> been a year and it's so, been a year yeah so you've got um some new things it's been, on a, the, couple it's years. been a couple of years so you've got some new things on the horizon anything mm-hmm. that you can share mm. yes you know what very soon so my youtube channel is self-titled just karen bond i have a brand new self-produced collaboration series it is an interview series called in good company And I don't have like a release date yet because we're still working through the edit, but I had filmed a few episodes. um, It actually started almost not quite a year ago, but quite a while ago. And this year has been took took us a long time to get it to where it is now. But we're going to be releasing the episodes in the next few weeks that's great so I'm really excited about this and it's something it's just like a passion project and something well as you know with this podcast like just having really cool meaningful conversations um in good company focuses a lot on um like the entrepreneurship side creatives um doing what they do and so yeah I'm really excited about it so when is it launching again we I haven't actually like set a date because I don't know, <laughs> but okay. it's going to be in the next yeah. few weeks ish. Like yes. call it the next two months. But everyone can follow you and watch the space yeah. and and find the announcements. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So Karen Bond on YouTube or Instagram, and you'll yeah you'll see it there. Amazing! I know. I'm so excited. This is an update since I last saw you. So yes. I'm very excited. Yes, I'm so yes. excited. Yes. You know those things, those projects where you're just like, oh my god, I'm like giddy over this. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This would be one mm-hmm. of those projects. So. I know that feeling well. Yes. <laughs> Well, I just have three questions okay. left for you. Cool. So the first question is, taking it back to something you said about your teenage years yeah. and <clears throat> and your tensions with, with your mom, mm-hmm. um, you know, after the passing of your dad. And now as an adult, looking back at your mom then, what would you say now, um, now that you've gone through some more life, that you really love and appreciate about her? Um, I love her loyalty and I love her commitment and I love her sacrifice. I think there's something really beautiful about sacrifice. I think that sacrifice is, can be painful because you, you, it means that you're giving something up, but you're giving something up for something more. And I think, you know, not, you kind of learn through osmosis. And I think having watched my mom be like that kind of sacrificial person is what inadvertently how I was able to sacrifice so much when I was building my business. Um, you know, I've never prescribed to having it all, having it quickly, having it. I've always from day one 
of starting my business have believed in patience and I've never wanted like for me it was never an overnight thing like I always knew it would take I, I was in it for the long game and still am in it for the long game um and believe that it's kind of like it, this is an endurance it's not a sprint um so if I though if I were looking back if I had the opportunity to like say something to my mom I probably would be like go easy on yourself and it's okay to have fun along the way like it's okay to laugh with your kids and have fun and that's the whole point of life right if you're not having fun why the hell are you doing this um and it doesn't always have to be hard it Mm. can you can have fun moments and I think the fun moments make the grind worth it Mm -hmm. Mm. that's really lovely Mm -hmm. um the next question I have is about your dad and you were talking about the the lessons that he taught you and the way he prepared you for life Mm -hmm. what's the greatest lesson that he taught you and left you with the greatest lesson is that there's 10 ways to skin a cat and um I say that because so the year before he passed away when we were in Kelowna, my dad was really sick. So he died of throat cancer and he was like physically at that point, very, very thin. He was, he, he basically, the cancer had eaten a hole in his neck. He, um, had, was having trouble with his like talking, eating. Um, but there was a day when I, I had this assignment that I needed to do for school and I had forgotten my homework at school or something like that. And so I came into the living room and I said, Mom, Dad, I need you to drive me to school because I have this assignment that's due tomorrow and I forgot everything at school. And my dad said, okay, you forgot your work at school and you're expecting us to drive you to get your work and fix this for you? No, there's 10 ways to solve this problem. Want you to go and think about this and come back with a solution. So I went to my room and I literally wrote out like 10 options (laughs) and I came back to him and I said, okay, well, I found 10 ways that this could be solved. And I just gave all the options. And I think he was just like so proud that I actually found 10 ways that he was like, "Ah, we'll we'll drive (laughs) you to school. We'll get your homework. Um, But that was such an important life lesson. And that has carried through with me or followed me. And there Every time I have a problem to solve, I swear to God, I will slice it as many ways as I possibly can Mm. before finding the best um, answer or the best solution. Mm. And I look at everything that way. And I think, again, that's what makes me a really good business person. And it's how I make my decisions is I'm always trying to look at every single side of this. And, you know, is there a different way we can approach this? Is there maybe a better solution? Is there something we haven't thought of? Um... And that has, it's served me really, really well. Mm. Well, you and I always talk about critical thought and yes, that's what it takes. And it's so important. Critical thought. Like if you're, you're, and that's, that's what entrepreneurship is. That's what being creative is. It's like looking at things from a whole bunch of different in through different lenses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I appreciate so much about our conversations all the time Mm -hmm. is the ability to kind of like look at all these different angles and bounce them off each other and be like, Hey, what do you think of this or this way? Mm. Yeah. So my final perspective, absolutely. My final question, it's the question I ask everyone is with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Um, the word that comes to mind is inspiration. Mm. I, think role models are so important and you never know where you're going to find a role role model and so the whole reason why I do my YouTube channel is to inspire people and I want people to see me in action and I don't say that from a place of ego I say that um, from actually a place of humility because what I've done with my YouTube channel is just really like opened up my business, opened up um, my day. And I've just taken people through this journey of 
building a business. And I, in doing that, I feel like I empower people to try it on their own to show them that it can be done. And I like to talk about the, like the dirty, the not so clean parts of it, right? Like the, the grit, the, the grimy side of things, the tough part of it, because there's so many people in the early days when I um, was starting my business where people, other people had like, were doing entrepreneurial ventures and they would be like, oh my God, it's great. It's amazing. So good. So busy. So whatever. And I was always like, this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard. Tell I, the truth. <laughs> I find this hard. Am I alone here? And so I think just by being um, really open and authentic and transparent about what I'm going through, mm. it really inspires other people in different ways. And I think that, that it's, that's important. So, mm. Well, you have always been an inspiring friend in my life and... I'm really, really grateful to have you in it. Oh, well, likewise. Yes. And I can't wait to see this next chapter of yours and what you continue to create. Yes. And um, thank you for being here. Likewise. And thank you. This has been such an amazing conversation. And yes. I'm so excited Always. about the craft. Thank you. Thank and you. And I'm honored <laughs> to be a guest. Well, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. I would love that. Yeah. Thank Thanks you, again. May. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.